Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR podcast. We're going to do some early Phoenix picks, and we will base these picks on the things that we learned at Las Vegas, possibly some of the information that we've gleaned from Fontana. So this is early. We haven't seen practice or qualifying. That will adjust our analysis. We may also combine the idea of track history, what these drivers did maybe last season, uh, possibly what they did in 2020, maybe not so much 2019. That's a really different package. But for the most part, we're just going to look at last week and Fontana and see kind of how the process is going and try to narrow down our picks for Phoenix. Raceforthepriz.com, raceforthepriz.com, raceforthepriz.com. That's where you can get access to the spreadsheet, all the tools, all the resources that I'm building and evolving. I mean, I've created a new sheet this week, and we will look at that new sheet and try to see if we can get some information that will give us an edge or an advantage in our fantasy lineups. So if you go to raceforthepriz.com, also here at raceforthepriz.com, you can find the Phoenix test session data from January. If you want to get super deep into that, it's just one lap. It's all that was released, but it's there if you want to see it. Or maybe you just want to see who participated in that test session. Maybe the drivers that participated, for example, Larson and Elliott were the Hendrick drivers, and William Byron and Alex Bowman were not. Are Byron and Bowman at a disadvantage? We'll see when the uh, practice unfolds. I imagine practice will let us know everything we need to know there. But if you go to raceforthepriz.com, you click on the Brandon Cruz DFS logo. That takes you to patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS. That's patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS. And you can sign up for 40 bucks a month and you get access to everything that we have. Everything that I build, everything that he builds, and you can support all the videos. You can support all the content, show your appreciation for all the work that we are putting in. We're going to look at this practice review sheet. It's available if you have access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet, if you're a contributor, you can look at this spreadsheet. It's a lot of data on the page. It is so much data on the page. If you're listening on Spotify, Amazon, you really should jump over. As, as always, listen to the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, but also check it out on YouTube. Now, there's a ton of information on your YouTube screen. Please hit like. Please hit subscribe. So it's hard for me to show it all. It's going to be kind of challenging to show everything that I want to show, but I will get it there. Bear with me and everything will work out. Uh, we'll start with Las Vegas. So what I'm going to do is kind of just, what I want to do with, where we're going to start out is I want to look at how did the practice line up with the results? Is there a correlation? It's always something good to look at especially with the new practice style, with the new next-gen car. Are they learning anything? How are some teams practicing? Are some teams just really going out there and just getting warmed up? Who knows? I don't think this is going to be definitive by any means, but this is going to help with our process and with our systems. We may not be there next week for Phoenix. We may not be there the week after that for, is it Coda or Atlanta, whichever we are. But we're going to slowly start to build and evolve and adapt. So it's a good time to review, reflect, and maybe kind of give some early week Phoenix picks. So we'll see how do they run in practice, how do they run in the race. Um, now, there's going to be a bunch of variables and context that happen during the race. So you should check out the race notes that are also available. Again, if you go to patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS, you can get all the race notes. where we go through all the details that don't show up on the stat sheet. The things that you forgot when you weren't paying attention. The things that you forgot when you were chucking beers. The little small incidents that don't pop out and don't get remembered. That completely change the complexity of the race for a specific driver that will mislead or deceive or make sense of where the stats are. So you should do that. Cruz also 
if you go to raceforthepries.com and you click on the live show link, that takes you to his YouTube page, and that'll link you directly to the live shows that he does. But also, when you're there, you can check out his other videos, and you did a recap of Las Vegas, so you should check that out if you want to get a better idea of the full context of what happened in that race and who really is doing well, who really is struggling. That will help you with your Phoenix picks. So we'll look at this practice review sheet, and here is Austin Sendrick. Let's not go Fontana, to Las Vegas. So on here we've got the Las Vegas kind of projection sheet with practice times, etc. We've got the laps, lap times here. Did I put lap times? What in the world? Oh, those are practice lap times. I thought I thought I put laps from the entire race. These are the specific lap times in practice. So that gives you an even more. So here is a simpler version of our practice data. And then we can look at the individual lap times. If we want to see if there's correlation between that and the results. And then we have laps throughout the race. I did not put every single lap. If you want every single lap, you obviously can go into that and see where they were running every single lap. But we will summarize that in this practice review sheet. And we'll just look at how many laps did they run inside the top five, top 10, top 15, top 20, top 25, top 30. And that gives you a pretty good indicator. Um, so if we were to take driver rating, which I don't really like as a statistic, it's okay. It's a step in the right direction. But my model or whatever you want to do, or just not really a model, but what I have started to do is, all right, let's take away some of the clutter. Let's take away some of the noise. Let's make it crystal clear exactly what they do. And so we can see who really performed well. And because I want to see top five lap times. I want to see top 10 as well. I want to see top 15 because NASCAR give you top 15s. That's it. And then that doesn't really help you for evaluating some of the back markers, guys in the back half of the field. So I've got top 20, top 25, top 30. This really sets it into stone. Like, okay, this guy had a good day or this guy got lucky. So we can do that. It's a good summarized overview. I mean, if you want to go through every single lap, cool, fine. The data is there and you are more than welcome to do it. But that we don't have enough time for that in this video. And as I say that, we will probably find ourselves going into that. But you don't need to because Cruz already went through the lap by lap at Las Vegas. So we look at Las Vegas and we've got Christopher Bell on the pole. The context here is we'll remember that Christopher Bell spun out. He was down a set of tires, uh, spun out making a really aggressive, I won't say it was an egregious move, but he tried to do a slide job, couldn't get the stick, spins out, that cost him a set of tires kind of early in the run. Everybody's running out of tires at the end, which means he's definitely out of tires at the end. Had a good day. He's just not ready to win yet. And that move revealed that. Really, the biggest differentiating factor or deciding factor between drivers, and I said this last week in my articles at DK Nation, I've been pretty outspoken about this, and, and you are too. You know that skill matters. But what really is a tiebreaker for me is the driver that will spin out and wreck versus driver that won't. So if you've been reading my featured matchups articles, which have been pretty much on fire, the best bets since last season at DraftKings, the bets are insane. But one of the easiest ways for me right now, like when you have close drivers, like it's Kyle Larson versus Chase Elliott. Now people can talk themselves in circles and debate Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, and that's fine and that's okay. But really the easiest way to make that decision this season has been, if this is a package where it's in the driver's hands, and who's going to make a mistake and who's not going to make a mistake, then it's easily going to be Kyle Larson. And that was the case. Chase Elliott spun out, what, three times over the weekend at Fontana? And then you go to Las Vegas. 
So Kyle Larson wins the head-to-head matchup again versus Chase Elliott. And there was a moment, I think it's on lap 177, where Kyle Larson's running up front and gets extremely loose. Everyone else wrecks. But Kyle Larson, being the dirt track driver that he is, saves it somehow. He doesn't save it somehow. He saves it because that's what he does. He knows how to do it. That is a huge tool that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. That's not going to be in the spreadsheet. That's not going to be in any write. Well, you can write it. But... There's no statistical category for saves. There should be. And the best way to do that is just look at the race recap notes or watch our videos and try to start keeping track of these guys doing that. The guys that don't save it, they're not the guys that I want to pick in DFS. They're definitely not the guys I want to pick under bets. And the guys that have a, a an ability to constantly save the car like Larson has done and has demonstrated over and over and over again, then you want to roster that guy every week because he always has a fighting chance. He's going to stay in the race. He's going to win races. He's going to finish better than whoever his featured matchup is against. It's a huge, huge. I mean, really, if you step back and say, what is the biggest stat you want to look at? I think that is the biggest stat. And it's not even a real stat. And it's not a stat that Vegas is looking at. And it's not a stat that any DFS players are looking at. Because it's not in spreadsheets. It doesn't pop up in any kind of data feed. It's just, are you watching the races and taking notes? If you're watching the races and taking notes of who's spinning and who's not spinning, because some of these don't bring out cautions. Some of these are just wiggles. Some of these are hitting walls. Some of these are hitting walls too hard. You'll find out that a lot of times when Larson hits a wall, he doesn't often hit the wall as hard as other drivers. Not going to show up on a stat sheet or a spreadsheet. The only way that you're going to have that advantage or edge is A, watch the races, B, listen to this podcast and read the notes, or I don't have time to listen to your 39-minute podcast. Well, it'll probably be 49 or 59 minutes today. But if you don't have time, read the recap notes. How do you get the recap notes? You go to Race for the Prize, Brandon Cruz, DFS, Patreon. That's where you'll get it. All right, long intro there. Oh, it's not an intro. We already talked about Bell. Is he somebody I want to play? Well, he had success in the Xfinity Series. All these guys have had success in the Xfinity Series, but he was pretty good. Yes, he was, but a lot of those guys would have been pretty good had they had the JGR equipment that he had. So we got to pump the brakes a little bit on that. I'm very excited about Christopher Bell. I got a Christopher Bell jacket in the closet in there. It's a dust jacket for dirt track racers. Not a dirt track racer, but I thought, well, that's kind of cool. So I like Christopher Bell, but just not his time yet. He's getting there. This package is definitely going to suit him. All signs are pointing in the right direction. It's just Las Vegas week three wasn't the time. Kyle Larson, everything you needed to see. Yeah, it's great. What more can you ask for? Got hit with some speeding penalties. Um, who knows? Could he have won? The, well, I mean, he almost won the race. He almost, again, won the race because he runs up front. He takes advantage. Again, he doesn't spin out. He doesn't have terminal damage. He's always right there. And it worked out for him at Fontana. And it almost worked out for him. He just got a little tight coming out of four and was unable to win the race. So, like, I don't know what else you need to see. Again, was he fast in practice? Yes. He was fast on a single run, 10-lap run. 15-lap run. I know there's not a lot of cars running 15-lap runs, but at least he's towards the top third. His average speed was 30.5. His average, which placed him at second. I also had him averaged at second in my lap-by-lap stuff for practice. And you can look at his specific runs. This run right here at the end of practice was very exciting to see him put together the speed, really showing, like, figuring out your lap four. Yeah. Practice is definitely correlated with Kyle Larson. Kyle Larson goes into Phoenix. I mean, I already know. Kyle Larson did a test session at Phoenix. 
We can see that right here. How fast was he? Well, he was, what day? That's not the greatest. That was, I believe, the only testing session that he got to take placement. Oh, there he is. Now, there he is. He's fastest on day one, fifth or eighth fastest on day two. Um, my concern, and of course, he won the last Phoenix race and won the championship, so he's going to be a pick. My concern with Kyle Larson is going to be that Larson was not the best driver last year at Phoenix. Well, he was the best driver, maybe. I mean, that's debatable. He did not have the best car. Now, that's really general. He did not have the best long-run car. He never has a good long-run car, and I don't believe he's very good at managing his tires at Phoenix. You go back to his days at Chip Ganassi, there were several times, I believe once he qualified on the pole, he would start up front. He could lead laps. He was very good on the short run at Chip Ganassi. And again, he demonstrated that last year very quick. On the short run. So there was Larson, who was really good on short runs. Elliott was kind of a balance between. And then you had Truex, which had a long run car. Same with Hamlin, but Truex really had the best long run car. My concern, if there is any for Larson this week, is he's going to have a short run car again. But, so that's good if you're picking him to win. A lot of stuff to impact here. So can Larson win? Yes. Larson will have a fast short run car. I don't know if they can set up the long run car for him. I don't know if he can manage his tires at Phoenix on the long run, especially the new tire that they're going to have. Well, I mean, yeah, the new tire that's seeming to have more tire issues, which could be a concern. Some to plant that seed of doubt in your mind. But I don't think he's going to blow a tire. But on a long run, he's in trouble. Now, what do we think Phoenix is going to look like? There might be long runs throughout the race, and that really will hurt his fantasy value. Not necessarily his betting value, but his fantasy value, because I don't expect on a long run Kyle Larson to lead a lot of laps and run a lot of fast laps. However, I also expect there to be plenty of cautions in this race. We have had plenty of cautions week one, two, and three. And for my money, Phoenix is going to be just as challenging, if not more challenging, than Fontana. You've got this new tire as well. And we had tire issues in the fall race at Phoenix. I expect about tire issues. I guarantee, when you go into turns one and two, they're so flat. And you're going to have people going four wide, cutting off the... Now, the other thing is, are you going to try to... uh, Cut the dog leg. We saw other guys get flats cutting the dog leg. That was that in Ricky Stenhouse last fall. Check out the feet of the fall Phoenix notes, spring Phoenix notes. That could be an issue with a smaller sidewall trying to cut off and drive onto the flats. We've already seen that just be a regular issue so far in the intermediate tracks where people are spinning out. And as they're spinning, they're thinking, I better keep this thing up on the track because if I go down onto you know the the bank get out of the banking and go back onto the apron or into the grass. I'm stuck and my race is over. And you saw that with the Eric Jones spin at the end of the race. You can see he's consciously trying to make sure he keeps the car on the track, which is a terrible idea. Oh, I'm spinning out. Let's make sure that I stay in the way of other drivers. But NASCAR has forced the drivers to do this, not necessarily because of the package, although the package is doing that, but because A, they don't have a way of towing these cars away safely. And you got to keep the car up on the track. B, just the way that the cars are designed. This is the way that the tires are going to blow. And I'm not so much worried about I'm not going to blame NASCAR so much for that one. But the first one, they definitely need to find a way to remove these cars. And then C, with the Eric Jones spin, you've got a car spinning out, NASCAR. NASCAR also is aware of the situation where the drivers are trying to keep the car on the track. Watch the cautions. Watch the replays. They're trying to keep the cars on the track so that they can pull away. They know if they slide onto the apron, they can get stuck or they can just get stuck on the ground, or they can end up in the grass. NASCAR knows it. The drivers know it. You and I know it. So that means if a car is spinning out, you got to throw the caution immediately. They did not do that with Jones, and that cost a Walsh ends up 
running into a car because they didn't. Now, there might have been a little bit of an arc or break situation there by Bubba, but NASCAR should have thrown that caution. As soon as Jones starts spinning out on the front stretch towards the end of that race, they hesitate, thinking that, oh, well, maybe he'll just spin off the track. Well, even if he spins off the track, you're going to throw a caution. Why wait? They're not going to spin off the track. You're going to see more guys. Now, I think at Phoenix should be fine, just the way that the design of the track is. But when we get back to intermediate tracks, more guys, unless they fix this problem with the tow-away situation, they're going to spin out and stay on the track. They want to stay on the track, and they're going to get T-boned. There's going to be some serious problems there. How did I get off onto that? Uh, So there's going to be cautions. There's going to be spins. Turns one and two at Phoenix, super flat. You're going to have tons of spins. And it's going to happen. If it doesn't happen in stage one or stage two, we're going to see it unfold in stage three. I would put any money that this race is going to end on a short run. Now, that doesn't mean that Carl Larson is going to hit DFS-wise because he's got to get fast laps and laps lead points. I don't know if he can get those if we have some long runs in stage one and two. May not get stage, long runs in stage one and stage two if people are spinning left and right. He's fine. I'm definitely going to pick Kyle Larson if I can. And I definitely am not going to take him out of my player pool this early in the week. Just something to think about. Austin Cindric starts up front, did not look good in practice, and this is about where he ran. He had some issues in the race, but I think around 15th is where he was for most of the race. Half the race inside the top 20, actually ran a little bit lower than that. 87% of his laps inside the top 25, so he was on the other side of the top 20, 25. I believe he got into the wall at one point, had a scuffed tire issue at one point. Let me look real quick. I don't have all, yeah, dude, jeez. I said I wasn't going to look at all the laps. You knew I was going to look at all the laps, didn't you? I just want to see, because I think he ran inside the top 15, which sheet do I want, for the better part of the race. Let's see. All right. All right, what's super fast, through Cindric. Obviously, he drops because he had a 15th place car in practice. So here he is by the end of stage one. He's a 15th place. He was around the 15th place car in practice, steadily drops. 15th, 20th, has that issue. I think this is where he gets wrecked, or what I have to look. He sustains damage. So those laps outside of the top 25 were obviously after his issue. Before it, he was a 20th place car, and that's about what he had in practice. So, so far, we're seeing, I would say, pretty strong correlation between practice. Now, again, you want to probably be more scientific about this. That's up to you. Uh, When we look at Bell... Bell, remember, he ran out of tires. Um, and if you look at this data, you'd say, well, he's about a fifth-place car at least, right? And let's see, how many laps did he run inside the top five? 20%, 44%. But again, he had that spin issue. He was out of tires. He did end up finishing 10th. So I'd say that was pretty solid. What we saw in practice from Bell was what he had. What we saw from Larson was what he had. What we saw from Austin Center was what, his hat, what he had. So, so far, if we were going to jump off the cliff, we'd say, all right, maybe we can trust the Phoenix data. Chase Briscoe had about 15th was his fastest, 24th on a five run. What would worry me here is, look, he didn't even run a 10-lapper. He didn't even run a 15-lapper. That means he wasn't very comfortable with his car, and that would lead me. Now, obviously, he has a bad finish because he uh, – now, if you're seeing these projections that are really high right here, these are just ceiling just to try to keep them on my pool. Even if you put Chase Briscoe as, oh, he could finish fifth, he still doesn't work out as a point-per-dollar play. Right? He's still just 5.5, and that's super – you know he's not going to finish fifth. But I just want to see. I want to force the optimizer to consider him. And at 5.5, he's not even getting considered. So it's just an easy 
for me, but I, I want to push the limit with some of these guys. Maybe he gets lucky and there's some late race cautions. Um, but we see from Chase Briscoe about 20th place car, 20th to 25th place car. These numbers are kind of suppressed because he did not finish the race. He finished, he wrecked out. So those numbers would have definitely been higher. And I think he would have been around the 15th to 24th place car. Chase Elliott looked like he had about a top 10 car in practice. And in the race, top 10, a little bit of top 15, maybe a little bit better than a top 10. But obviously, he ran every lap inside the top 15, 66% of his laps inside the top 10. So definitely some correlation there. Joey Logano looks like he had about a 5th to 10th place car, slightly better than um, Joey Logano, or better than Elliott on the single run. Not quite as good on the five run, but better on the 10 lap run and actually puts down a 15 lap run. He is fifth of the 12 cars that run that. So he's in the top half. It's pretty good. Average speed, fifth best on all the laps. Under my calculation of all the laps, sixth best. So about top five driver. And where does he finish and what was his running position? He finishes in 14th, but his average running position was much higher at 10.7. Didn't really run any in the top five, but he did run half the race inside the top 10. I need to look at the notes and see what did happen to what did happen to it. What was Logano's issue in this race? Bad pit stop, maybe? I can't remember. I just watched it, went through the notes. Let's see. I didn't have anything from the what the driver said. So there he is. He's running inside the top 10 throughout the race. Top 10. Looks like he's fading back. I don't think he had an issue. He's running in the top 15, not making his move. Now he's back up to the top 10. Uh, into stage two, he's in seventh place. Back into the top 10. And did he get into an issue on lap 217? I'm thinking something happened here. I have to look at the notes. Rebounds. He's about a 10th place car. Last restart. So he's running 2.11. He's running 11th when there is the final caution from who brought that one out? Was it the Eric Jones spin? And not a great restart. Loses a couple spots. Not the strongest correlation, but pretty close. He's something that I would definitely consider for Phoenix when we talk about short run speed. And we did have quite a few long runs in that race. Short run speed, Logano is a master at that. And if we get plenty of cautions, it means there's going to be a lot of adjustments and setup changes. And if you go back and look at that Phoenix race from last year, Truex beat him in this. Now, you can't look at the fall as much because he wasn't in the championship contention. And you know that the fall Phoenix championship race is always dominated by the team that's in contention. So you got to go back to the spring race, and that's where you'll see Logano scores the most fantasy points last spring at Phoenix. Very good short-run car. Later on in the race, Truex made an adjustment change, really got the long run dialed in, and that's how Truex wins the race. Do I got all the laps here? I'm not going to go over that today. So short run, a bunch of wrecks. Even if it's not short run, Logano is going to be a guy at the top of your list. All right, where are we at next? Tyler Reddick had to start in the back, battled, spun, had a top 10 car in practice, and all of the metrics that we could look at. 
five lap, ten lap, average lap, fifth, average lap according to NASCAR, fourth. And he doesn't run a lot of laps inside the top five or the top ten. Actually, he runs 40% of his laps inside the top ten, which is pretty interesting. Because let's think about that. He had to start in the back, and he spun out at one point in this race. And so to have run 40% of his laps inside the top ten, that's pretty strong. That is very strong. He ends up finishing seventh. Cuts down the mistakes and then maybe wins that race at the end, right? If you put him up on the front row, if he has position, you know, anything could have happened. He was my pick to win. Starting the back didn't help, but they made the mechanical change that they needed, fixing the steering box, whatever it was. And he did overcome one mistake in the race. He's got to cut down on these mistakes, though. It's two weeks in a row that he's made a significant error. If he cuts those out, he's going to be contender. Now, Phoenix in the past, he has laid down some hot laps. But he has not gotten the finishes that he deserves. But he did finish sixth in the last Las Vegas race. I don't want to look at Las Vegas. I want to look at Phoenix. No, yeah, he hasn't finished well at Phoenix. If I can pull that up. Where is old Redick at? He hasn't got the finishes. But he's. I think if we look at last spring, he laid down quite a few fast laps when he's really working that. I don't know if they were using PJ1 in the spring and then resin in the second part, but he was laying down some fast laps, I believe. Maybe that was 2019 or 2020. That was. That was 2020 that I was thinking about. So he has demonstrated some speed at this track in the past. Um, and then we can also go look and see. I'm pretty sure he was fast. There you go. First testing session at Phoenix. He laid down the second fastest lap. Someone to keep an eye on in your Phoenix picks. Especially since he hasn't quite hit yet. But like, he hasn't worked in DFS. So that's burn people. That's going to create some recency bias. And it's going to show up on the spreadsheet that he is not running well. But if you have been watching the races, you cannot help but be impressed by the way that Tyler Reddick is running and some of the adversity that he has overcome. Denny Hamlin. You really can't really talk about Hamlin because, again... It's not going to show up on the stat sheet other than this big red bad spot, right? He finished, where is it at? It's not going to be on this sheet. If we go to the Phoenix sheet and we look right here for Denny Hamlin and on my sheet, I'm trying to talk so that's not complete dead silence. There's people listening on the podcast or watching the video. There's Denny Hamlin. I uh, finished 30, what, 30 seconds. Now, his driver rating rank, that's why I put it here, where we basically just take the driver rating and simply rank them as integers. So he might have had like a 95 point whatever, and you can use those numbers if you want, but a simple, easy way to just rank them. Who had the highest driver rating, who had the worst, to give you an idea of, all right, well, if nothing crazy happens, where kind of should they have finished? And, and that calculates a bunch of different things. He was the seventh best driver, finished 32nd. Most people are just looking at this 32 and 37. Ah, but if you look at this 7, he ran well. If you remember, if you watched the race, you know Denny Hamlin was possibly a race winner. If you watched the race, then you know that he had a hose issue on pit road, and then he also then later blew up because apparently he doesn't know how to shift gears. Hey, whatever. I don't know if it was his issue. Um, it could have been now they've got the sequential shifter instead of the H pattern, and maybe he went down too far. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. Uh, but they tore up all the gears. Not they, he tore up all the gears. If it was he and not a mechanical, pure mechanical issue, I would assume that he probably just shifted wrong. 
We shall see about that. All right. Uh, but Hamlin's fine, and you can't really look at his practice data there to review anything because his result. Ricky Stenhouse. What did Spinhouse do? Spinhouse in practice. Not fast on the short run. Not fast on the 10 run. Not fast on the 15 run. Average speed, not good. Let's look at the pure laps here for him in the race. Not fast. Not the best day of practice. But when we get to racing, he ran pretty well. He does not get the finish that he likely should have earned because Stenhouse got nailed with a speeding on pit road penalty on the last pit stop. And let's see, where did that drop him from? Stenhouse goes from running in 8th to 22nd. That's a big time speeding on pit road penalty. That is about as huge as it gets. Um, but that also creates an opportunity in DFS for people that rostered him to say, oh, man, or people that didn't and are simply going to play the game of spreadsheet warrior and not be spreadsheet assassin. Because if you're a spreadsheet assassin, you're really going into the data. The spreadsheet warrior just looks and says, oh, well, he finished 20 seconds. Same old spin house. Yeah, not really. So if we look here and wasn't that great in practice, that's going to be very interesting. Is that going to be a trend with Stenhouse? I believe he was fast over here at Fontana in practice, and he was. He's very sporty in practice. He was not sporty at Las Vegas, which then says, all right, well, what are we going to do with him when it gets to Phoenix? I don't know. That's going to be for you to figure out or me to figure out. We'll have to get there eventually. He's been kind of in at Phoenix. Last year, he got in a wreck early in the race. He got into like three wrecks early in the race. Corley Joy was involved in a bunch of issues. It's like three guys. It was Corley Joy, Ricky Stenhouse, and uh, maybe McDowell. I can't remember. But I know that uh, LaJoy and Stenhouse, uh, Bubba Wallace, it was. So the first wreck was Stenhouse, LaJoy. Bubba, Bubba gets knocked out, and then LaJoy and Stenhouse wreck, and I think that takes LaJoy out, and then Stenhouse then wrecks again later. So an eventful race there for Spinhouse. We go back, and so I don't know if we can be able to trust the practice data, but we can look at specifically, see how good of a race did Stenhouse have. Nothing in the top five, barely anything in the top ten. But right there inside the top 15, 64% of his laps were inside the top 15, right there on the edge of 10th to 15th. Not great, but he did come alive there at the end, though. And that's the kind of interesting thing for me at Las Vegas. Now, this is going to be a completely different racetrack, so I probably don't need to read into that too much. And if he's just going to be a 15th place car, maybe we don't have to get too excited. It's going to depend on the pricing that they throw at us. All right, looking back at some of this Las Vegas lap-by-lap data. Austin Dillon, not good in practice. Not good at all. Qualifies 10th, though. So if you're qualifying 10th, means you had to put some speed there after practice in the qualifying. Anyway, what I was thinking about in my head right there is, like, well, maybe they were too trimmed out in practice, and they just weren't stable. And he didn't run a mock run in practice, so he never ran down one real fast lap. But he still should have ran down one fast lap if he was trimmed out. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So he just didn't have the car. And then we look at it in the race. <clears throat> Nothing in the top five or top ten for a slow car. What 
I mean, his practice speeds were outside the top 20. 27th on the short run. 22nd, 27th five lap. 22 10 laps. So very slow. He did at least run 10 laps. But, you know, not a top 20 car. And he did run 39% inside the top 15, 57% inside the top 20. So he's around the 15th to 20th place car. His average running position was 19.5. So it's pretty similar. He gets a decent finish there at the end. I wonder if that was some pit road love. Let's go to the pit road data and see how good was Dylan on pits today. Because we know Austin Dillon had an amazing pit crew in week one. He gained some spots in the last stop. Had a seven spot gain at one point. Everybody losing spots net wise. It's pretty interesting. I don't. This data is so crazy though. The way that NASCAR does it, I gotta look in to see what, why it's it's nothing but people losing spots on pit road every single time. The way that they calculate it. I mean, it is the strangest thing, right? Theoretically, every spot gain should be a spot lost. And so if I were to calculate all the plus minus four, this should be equal, but it's not. So there's something funky going on with NASCAR's data here that I want to look into. Again, if you're gain, it's a zero-sum game. So if Eric Jones loses four spots, then somewhere some people had to gain spots. So if we just calculated the net of everybody, it's going to be zero. And yet uh, that's not what we get with NASCAR's data. So I got to look and see what's going on. I think this is overall pretty much right in terms of ranking, but I think it's skewing much more to showing these guys as negative pit stops. Got to see what's going on, why their data is calculating like that. But so far we can see Austin Dillon have a plus day on pit road. Let's look at that stop nine right there where it says he lost 10 spots and see what the hell's going on there. Um, so let's see, that would be on lap what, two. Oh, is that green flag? Oh, that's why that is. <sighs> oh, I got to take out the green flag stops. Cause he probably cycled right back. He lost 10 spots on pit road, but it was a green flag pit cycling. So of course everybody's going to show up as huge losers because it's a green flag stop. Probably going to have to filter those out, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you can't blame NASCAR because two laps later, this will cycle out. But how do they know, like, oh, should we score this two laps later? Or, yeah. That changes that. Was there a couple green flags? So that's going to skew the data in a certain way. Huh. Anyway. Welcome to the life of running a spreadsheet. Trying to answer these riddles and figure them out to help people out. We'll figure it out. Ryan Blaney, you can't really look at him, but Ryan Blaney was fast in practice, and Ryan Blaney was. And so for the people listening on the audio version, Blaney, third short, third five, third on 10, second on 15. He actually ran a 20-lapper, which is impressive. I mean, regardless of where he ranks, the fact that he felt comfortable to go out and run 20 laps and the feel where the car was. I believe he did two 20-lap runs. And he had one of the best cars. And you can't look at his data because he got involved in that wreck. But based on the laps that he did run, he had an average running position of fifth. So I'm able to calculate his average running position based on the actual laps. This is 
actually a little bit better. So what this will do is cut out some of the noise for this average running position. NASCAR's average running position will take your running position for all the laps. So he ran in 36th place for about 200 laps. So his average running position is going to be 33, 32. But if you just look at the laps that he did run, it's fifth. An interesting data point, again, to help you guys build better lineups. Hopefully, you're doing that. Martin Tricks Jr., great long run car in the race. If you're reading the race recap notes, there's a tip in there. I'm not going to say it on you. I believe I put it in my DK Nation article. So if you're reading a DK Nation, there is a tip, a nugget, a beautiful nugget from the race that you might have forgotten or missed. And I put in the race recap notes, but I also mentioned it in my DK Nation article. So make sure you're checking that out. You can get there by going to raceforthepride.com. I got a link over here on top, right? These are free articles for the last eight years. So check them out. You click on DK Nation. And I believe this just takes you to my bio page, which just lists my stuff, everything that, uh, no, actually this is taking you to NASCAR. I should link this to me and not those guys. Yeah. I'm going to link that to me, uh, but yeah, I got to fix that. You don't need to read their stuff. You need to read my stuff. You know, you find the NASCAR stuff on here. So I got to make a note to change that link. I don't want you to link into Regular DK. What am I doing? What did I do that for? That'll be fixed. So if you go to Race for the Prize, you click on that. I'll take you to my articles. And you can get that nugget for Truex. Tricks. Great long run speed. A Phoenix. So again, do I need to look at the data? Oh, yeah. Might as well look at it. Uh, not that great here. Not that great. Practice data wasn't that good. But there was. Again, you got to reference the nugget. So I'm not going to go over Truex. Alex Bowman. So he was kind of the impetus for creating this video. A lot of people would like to dismiss Alex Bowman. I just got lucky on the last lap. You're not watching the races. If you think Alex Bowman got lucky on this last lap, you are simply not watching the races. Uh, and you haven't been watching the races for the last couple of years. Oh, well, Alex Bowman got lucky at Martinsville. You're not watching the races. You're not doing the, the, the analysis. Going into that Alex Bowman win at Martinsville, you know who picked Alex Bowman to win that race in his DK Nation article at a huge underdog? This guy. No one thought Alex Bowman was going to win at Martinsville. I did. Now, why did I think that Alex Bowman was going to win at Martinsville in the fall? Because I'm not a spreadsheet warrior. Because I went over the data and I watched the Martinsville spring race again. And he was amazing before he got taken out by a wreck. And then also, Alex Bowman won at Richmond. Oh, well, it was just a late race restart. Again, you're not watching the races. You're not really, you're just a spreadsheet warrior and you're not a spreadsheet analyst assassin because if you're going through all the data and looking at the Richmond race, Alex Bowman was good in that race and he deserved to win. Alex Bowman was good at Dover and he deserved to win. Yeah, but he didn't lead until the end. Guys, this is freaking racing. This is not the NFL where you're supposed to build like a 20-point lead or basketball where you can build a 30-point lead and that's how you win games by smashing your opponent, by scoring seven runs in the first inning. That's That doesn't matter in racing. You can lead 260 laps. I mean, I wrote it in my article this week when I was talking about Carla, and I specifically said this. It, I might as well read this to you. I feel like sometimes I'm predicting the future here. It's insane. Let's go back to that. I told you, you've got to start listening to me. I know you're listening to me. If you're still listening to me now, then you definitely are. Let me see. Let's pull up this Best Bets article. And you'll read this like, wait a second. Does this guy really have a crystal ball? Yes, I apparently do have a crystal ball. All right. 
yeah, but you picked Tyler Reddick to win. Yeah, well, I can't predict all the wrecks. Here's what I said about Kyle Larson. And this is what I'm saying right now. This was in print before it happened. NASCAR betting is unlike any other sport. If you bet on a football team that underperforms for a half or three quarters, then you're toast. NASCAR betting is scored by the final lap. Larson could be terrible for 260 laps and still win the bet by outracing Elliott on lap 267. This is why I took Kyle Larson at minus 145. That's an obvious exaggeration, but it's not too far from the truth. Larson did not take the lead at Fontana until lap 167 of 200. 85% of the race was complete. His crew chief, Cliff Daniels, has a knack for figuring out the winning setup on the fly, and no one else in the Cup Series is better at adapting and closing than Larson. Now I talk about the spin stuff, but again, it's about the last lap. Did you watch the last lap at Las Vegas? Did it come down to the last lap? Was it Larson there at the end? What did I tell you? Same thing is true for Alex Bowman. That's why you got to play Alex Bowman as well. He puts himself in position to win these races. And it's not like, oh, well, no. He ran in the top five the entire race. The clowns that try to clown Alex Bowman for his wins at Martinsville, he just showed up at the end. He was there the whole time. You're not watching. Well, he just showed up at the end of Dover. He was there the whole time. You're not watching. He's there the whole time. You just aren't really watching. You don't really know what's going on. And you've got to work on that. And this is not just me being a jerk. Here he was, fast in all the practice sessions. And all of his teammates were fast in all the practice sessions. And all of his teammates have been fast since the beginning of the season. And what did he do? Oh, I don't know. He just went out and was fast during the race. 65% of laps inside the top five. If you look at his real rating, which is my calculation, it was a 97. It was the second best in the field behind Ross Chastain. So I think it's a calculation that I do. He was the second best driver. He didn't just show up to the end. He didn't just get lucky. Man, but I guarantee you, some people just aren't going to be able to comprehend that. And they're going to keep fading Alex Bowman because they faded him before and then he got lucky again. He didn't get lucky. This is how racing works. It's Racing is not about winning wire to wire. Very rarely does a driver win wire to wire. And if you're looking for that, then you're going to lose a lot. If you're going to need guys to be wire wire, that's why I am adamant about not using the word dominant or dominator or dominator points because it infers, it implies that wire wire is a thing, that drivers actually lead the entire race and win races. Just like if a team scores 40 points in the NFL, they're going to win. Or if a guy scores 50 points, their team's probably going to win in the NBA. Or if a pitcher throws a shutout, they, they obviously are going to win. This is not that. So you've got to get rid of those little subtle subconscious verbs and nouns that distract, that deceive. You've got to get rid of them. That's why I will not use them. And I use innocuous terms like hog, which people are like, well, what's that? And that's good. But yes, well, what's that? So then I can explain. And when I explain it, like, okay, yeah, it's just a random point for fantasy purposes. That's exactly right. Because in racing, it's really just about the last lap. And the better you get that, then you're going to be more likely to roster guys like Alex Bowman that steal races. He didn't steal the damn race. He's the best driver out there. Lunatics. I mean, even what was his, if we use the NASCAR driver rating, I'm sure it's going to be plenty high. Imagine he's the third highest driver in terms of driver rating, if not second best. Where is it? That's second, at least. At Las Vegas. Alex Bowman's driver rating rank was second best. Oh, he got lucky. He was the second highest rated driver. How did he get lucky? 
What are you talking about? Like, it's okay for Twitter to get mad, be angry, get that. But if you're playing DFS and you think that Alex Bowman got lucky, you're missing it, man. You're not paying attention to the races. You're not really looking at it. You're being biased. Uh, never gonna. So, yeah, roster Bowman this week. Now, he has struggled. I know Cruz. Cruz won to make Bowman a thing last spring, and I told him, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. He hasn't been good here, and he hasn't, and he continues to struggle. Eventually, it'll click. Either the setup will click. I mean, he did have that really good race. It's not going to show up because it was way back when he was subbing for Dale Earnhardt Jr., but that was a low-down force package. Maybe it'll finally click again. We did see it finally click for Martin Truex. We were always expecting it to click for Martin Truex Jr. at Phoenix, but for whatever reason, this shorter, flat track, he couldn't run it despite being good at Richmond and being good at Martinsville and other similar tracks. He just couldn't make it work until last year with James Small. Boom, the light switch went on, and Trix was awesome in both races. Alex Bowman, good at Richmond, good at Martinsville. At some point, the light's going to flip on, and he's going to figure it out. Will it be this week? I don't know. I would have loved to have seen him get some practice laps, but those went to Larson and Elliott. Again, you can see those practice laps at raceforthepries.com. We're not going to make it through all these guys. I think we're already coming up on an hour. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, though, was... Nah, I don't need to talk about that. I'm going to figure out what's going on with this pit stop data things. Why NASCAR is scoring everybody negatively. Everybody. That's crazy. I guess people staying out could mess with it. So that's that's one point. When people stay out... That's going to hurt your pit stop. So what the scoring is showing is what position were you in when you came in and what position you came when you went out. It's not showing specifically who moved forward and who moved backward in relationship to the cars on pit road. It's in relationship to your position based on all the cars on the track. So that is going to skew the numbers some. How do I fix that? God, there is always something to do. It's got, got to raise the rates. That's why you don't do spreadsheets on your own. That's why you pay me. It's because not just doing the maintenance, but also correcting for data like that. Brakislavski stinks. He wasn't good in practice, was not good in the race. He spun out again. I'm not going to spend too much time on that. Daniel Hemrick was fast, did not get the results that we want, but he had a mechanical issue again. One thing I want to say is, hey, great, awesome. Henrik is overcoming adversity for the mechanical issues for him to come back and still finish 22nd. That's awesome. But that's two weeks in a row his colored car has had issues. Very concerning. Bubba Wallace was having a good day at the end until he wrecked. Where did he ultimately finish? 25th. But I believe he was around a 15th place car. He ran 52% of the laps inside the top 15. Let's see what they do practice-wise. It looks like the JGR Toyotas and maybe the slightly allied Toyotas are running better. And that's about where his practice speed was, 15th to 20th. Ross Chastain did nothing in practice. Had a fast car in the race. That is interesting, right? Uh, this is the one I probably should spend the most time on, and that's what we'll close out on. He gets up front. Now, how did Ross Chastain get up front? If you watch the race again, here's my theory of why his practice times didn't correlate. Well, there's two things. Two things happened with Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain pretty much told that he was going to take it easy in practice after wrecking the week before. So this is him not pushing it. 
And I probably overreacted with my projection by being a little too hard on these slow laps from Ross Chastain. Because Ross Chastain, after wrecking in practice last week and wrecking in the race, was going to go out and play it safe. And even playing safe, he was 10th fastest on a single lap run and 11th fast, fastest on a five-lap run. Then in the race, he is very aggressive on the restarts, going underneath the apron and making some moves. And then also at the very beginning, if we pull up the pit stops. Now they say on the broadcast that he was one of the best on pit road. And I think he technically was. Now, one of the ways that we're going to have to, so like I said before, if you look at some of this pit road data, everyone is showing up as negatives. But again, that's because they're being scored position-wise. Connect. Uh, that's the wrong one. Everyone's showing up at these negative spots, but that's because they're showing relationship-wise. If someone stayed out or whatever, you're going to see a little bit more negatives than we should. And if you look at Ross Chastain, he has a lot of negatives. On the broadcast, they say, hey, he's one of the best on pit road today. I'm like, how is he one of the best on pit road today? Lost five spots, lost five spots, lost seven spots. Well, some of this, I think, has to do with people staying out or whatnot. Gained four spots on his first pit stop, which is where everybody stops. So aggressive restart, gains four stops at the beginning. He then is in clean air for the rest of the race. Boom. He ends up running a ton of laps up front. And his practice speeds probably were, um, he was, I don't want to say he was sandbagging, but he was faster than that. He just wasn't pushing it. So you add a couple spots to his practice, which he should have done. And he has the good restart, has a good pit stop, but he gets up front disappears at the end when he gets back into dirty air, which is about what you would expect from that car, right? Even if he practiced a little bit better and really went for it in practice, I think we would say he's a fifth-place car at best. We could probably nudge that up to fifth place, throwing that good pit stop at the beginning, throws him in clean air, and that's why he runs up front. He's just up in clean air the entire time, and he does a good job at executing. But when he gets back in dirty air, he's not nearly as good. He disappears at the end of the race, and he still finishes third. But I know it's a stretch to say that this practice time to correlate, and we put a lot of ifs and buts and asterisks in there. But it's not something that you could completely dismiss. And I kind of kicking myself for not projecting him much higher. It was way too tough, knowing that he was playing it safe and was being conservative in practice. Really mistake on my part right there. Um, now, uh, one of the things that we can do with the pit times right now, since – these are kind of skewed a little bit because we're the way that they're calculating it. And until I can fix that, one of the things that you can do is just look at who was fast during the specific race based on this is the time in the box, um, which is fine. You know, some people want to look at, I know one guy was talking about looking at uh, pit stop in travel and out travel. And I mean, you could do that too. I mean, you want to get super into it. So if we just look at pit stop time in the box, 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 Chastain had the fourth fastest pit crew. I don't have, I guess I could average out their travel in. I mean, we're getting way too deep in the weeds, but in time, out time, and then where would we look at overall time? Where was overall? Actually, we'll just look at total duration. It's fine. You mean, you could do this on your own. I'm going to do it. You mean, you could look at... How fast is he getting into his box? How fast is he getting out of his box? And then what's the total? You want to go crazy with it? Have all bio means go for it. That's Kyle Bush that we're looking at right there. That's you know something that you could do. But the simplest way to say, all right, well, although the in-out position stuff is skewed right now, we can look and see that these pit crews were fast for now. As I figure out a way to solve that riddle. 
that's going to do it. Um, since I did say I will give picks, I'm going to go quickly through here and say, like, who do I like? Early week, not crazy about Harrison Burton, unless he's super cheap. Is he at 5,900? Yes, I would consider him. Eric Almarola, yeah, I like him at Phoenix. But if his price goes up above 7,800, which I expect it to do, I will be less bullish. Daniel Suarez. Let me pull up the Phoenix sheet. for. I don't know. Yeah, maybe possibly. McDowell, if he's cheap, might consider as a punt. Eric Jones. Car looks fine. He's running better. Wasn't quite as good once he got out of clean air. Obviously, Fontana clean air made him look a lot better than he should have, but he still was decent in dirty air. Cole Custer is fine if he's cheaper. I don't think he's going to be cheaper this week, and I won't be that interested in him. Kevin Harvick, I worry that in the resin, he's just not going to be as good. If this groove were on the bottom again, then I would really like Kevin Harvick, but the groove now with the resins up top and we just haven't seen him be the dominant force that he once was. Yeah, we're going back to an old package where he was successful. But we're also going to go with a high resin groove, which is not his bag, baby. Greg Biffle, no. Chris Busher, no. Justin Haley, maybe if he's still cheap and starting in the back, which I expect he might do. Uh, I think we're going to see Justin Haley be a little bit more race trim every single week and playing it safe throughout practice. Corey LaJoy, if he's cheap and in the back, maybe he got wrecked out last race. But we know that he did run pretty well in low-down force races. Didn't do it at Phoenix, but some of his better races over the last couple of years have oddly enough not been in the parity package, which was supposed to be the high-down force. Ran well in the low-down force at times. Gilliland, probably a no for me. Kurt Busch. Let's look at his laps. Looks about like a 15th place car. Looks like about like Bubble Wells. That's about right. Um, if he started in the back, maybe. Ty Dillon. Uh, he cycled to the front and then cycled to the back. That was interesting to see him up toward the front. But if you look at his laps overall, he only ran 19% of his laps in the top 20. He was there at the end through shenanigans. But in the end, he finished 20th and is about a 20th place driver. If he's starting in the back 5,600, it's not bad. Right, if it's between him and other punts, and you get your ten place differentials and twenty place, yeah, that's not bad. Uh, you guys are just straight punts. Cody Ware was on the lead lap for most of the race. I was reading the notes, and Cruz pointed out that Cody Ware, until he hit pit road right as a caution came out, that cost him. But he was running well. He was on the lead lap, so I would imagine his top twenty five. It's not very good. He did run inside the top thirty. More than the other punters, right? More than Smith Lee, who was never there. BJ McLeod was only there for 50% of laps. Balicki, 49%. So this is one of the reasons why I created this statistic, because the stats for some of these backmarkers of punts are few and far between. So this is a way to differentiate between what punts do I really want. And you can see there's definitely a clear step here with Ty Dillon running 57% inside the top 25, whereas Ware only ran 14% in the top 25. Dylan, 89% in the top 30. Ware, 71% in the top 30. Then a step down to Balicki at 49% in the top 30. So McLeod at 50% in the top 30. Um, Big Biffle, only 23% in the top 30. Who else do we got? Did we get any other like guys that surprise? So your Rick Ware guys. It's just the easy way to differentiate between the Rick Ware guys. Thanks for joining me. Make sure that you go to racefortheprize.com.
That's where you can get access to the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet and all the tools and the resources. Go to patreon.com slash DFS, subscribe, and support the channel, support the work. We really appreciate all the guys that are supporting, and I'll continue to create new sheets and new tools to help you build better, and hopefully you'll win some contests and practice stuff and all the notes that I put in. And then if you get really weird and click on my blog, go to theconstrainedvision.com. I got an essay that was just published at the Chalkboard Review if you want to go to that website. Published a couple of my works there on education, if you want. If you're not interested, no big deal. That's my baby. That's the constrained vision. That's where I put my fiction and my nonfiction works. And I got a lot of that stuff working. And I got a lot of other stuff working in the background, too, which you'll find out about soon enough. Anyway, thanks for joining me. Very grateful. I don't know if you saw this last week, but my... uh, so, obviously, I've been doing the affirmations, right? I keep saying, I, Pierce Dietrich, am going to be the most viewed fantasy NASCAR analyst. Some of you guys might think, oh, that's weird. It's dumb. Affirmations don't work. It's the silliest thing in the world. You look goofy. And, again, I can to give you my rant about um, being comfortable and not being embarrassed and how that's a superpower. And so I don't mind being goofy or looking weird. It's I've gotten really better at it. But it's definitely something, obviously, if I was in education, that it's a tool that you have to have. You've got to be able to not only have, but use and to use to manipulate people. But uh, so I don't mind being embarrassed about saying these affirmations. And even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, but it probably doesn't make you feel uncomfortable because I'm not uncomfortable. So you're probably cool with it. So I keep saying them. I, Pierce Dietrich, will be the most viewed fantasy NASCAR analyst. I was hoping to get the YouTube videos up, right? I was hoping the views there. Um, but little did I know that my, uh, DraftKings price check video, which we've been doing for like seven years, which is, it does well. It's one of the most viewed on the site. It, it just the way that I do the video, it's short, it's quick and people watch it. It's just work, right? It's a format design. Like I go speed round through it. been doing that thing for like seven years now. People like it. So I just keep with it. We keep going at it and it does well. It's one of the best viewed videos, but it exploded last week for no reason. The numbers went through the roof. Uh, you can see, you look at my tweet, and and it happened. I became the most viewed fantasy NASCAR analyst. Like the affirmations actually worked. So I'm going to keep doing because I want them to go higher. But uh, it's just crazy. It really is unbelievable. Yeah, so I mean, I could, and I think if you read, well, it's Scott Adams. He's the guy that got me onto it, and so I've been doing them. Uh, where do I have it? Not loser think, but uh, how to fail at almost everything and still win big, which I actually have a lot in common with Mr. Adams and failing at things, but learning throughout the process and trying new things and failing and doing this endeavor and it failing, but learning a couple of things. So that's kind of one of the things he talks about and affirmations is one of the things that he has in there. And so I'm going to stick with the affirmations. I Pierce Dietrich will be the most viewed fantasy NASCAR analyst and I Pierce Dietrich will be a top selling Amazon author. Thanks for joining me. Check out the podcast, subscribe, like, share, check out Cruz's stuff. Please go to raceforthepriceforthe Please go to patreon.com slash Brandon Cruz DFS and be a sub- supporter, a contributor, all those beautiful things. Uh, Let's trip the lights fantastic.